الجزيرة بودكاست In Ethiopia, the state of Tigray has been cut off from the outside world. For nearly two years of civil war, it was under a de facto blockade. Phone lines, internet access, food, everything was impacted. The war has created one of the worst humanitarian crises in the Horn of Africa. But in November, after an uptick in violence, a peace deal was announced. After 10 days of talks in Pretoria, Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front reached an agreement to end the fighting. Thanks to that peace deal, Tigray is slowly starting to open up to the outside world. Phone lines are being reconnected. Flights are resuming. And people who found themselves stranded outside Tigray can finally return home. as airports in Ethiopia host joyous family reunions. Today, a look at what this all means for people in Tigray. I'm Hala Mahiuddin, and this is The Take. I'm speaking with Lucy Kassa, a journalist from Tigray who closely follows Ethiopia's war and its new peace. I am a freelance journalist for major international outlets. And the past two years, I have been extensively uncovering evidence of war crime in the Ethiopian conflict. Ethiopia is a regional diplomatic powerhouse and the seat of the African Union. Its prime minister is a Nobel laureate. But a conflict was gearing up at home in the state of Tigray, near the border with Eritrea. For decades, people from Tigray held quite a bit of power in Ethiopia's government. But their power began to wane when that prime minister, Abiy Ahmed, was elected in 2018. And then, in November of 2020, The central government in Addis Ababa has launched a military operation in the northern region of Tigray. The offensive comes after months of growing tensions between the federal government and Tigray's governing TPLF party. The military operation escalated into a civil war involving not just Tigray's ruling TPLF and the Ethiopian government, but also ethnic militias and troops from neighboring Eritrea. It spiraled into a humanitarian crisis. As many as 900,000 Tigrayans face famine, hospitals are running out of medicine, and there are hundreds of victims of rape. For much of those two years, it was extremely difficult to find out what was happening in Tigray. Journalists were banned from entering, and the blackout largely shut off telecommunications there. Ethiopia's government said it was necessary for security reasons. Aside from a few generators, there's almost no electricity. Telecom and internet access has been cut off. But all that began to change after the peace talks back in November. Ethiopia's government and rebels have agreed to allow immediate humanitarian access to Tigray and other regions in the north. So Lucy, what was your reaction when you found out about that agreement? I felt so 
delighted and happy, especially for those people suffering from my sources, because each day was a nightmare for them. Given what I have been documenting, I didn't expect that they, they would sign the peace deal. The situation was out of control. I don't even have words. You can't even imagine it. Like the, the extent of the humanitarian crisis and the, the human rights violations with the signing of the peace deal, I was so relieved. Lucy has been following as the communications have come back online. Today I was talking to someone who lives in Addis. Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. This was on Friday, the day before Ethiopian Christians celebrate Christmas on January 7th. It's a big holiday. So last year she was depressed. She, she can't think about celebrating holiday. Now she's so delighted and she's so relieved. And she told me, like, I felt as if some, some burden is removed from my shoulder. And now I, I can talk to my families. I can hear their voice anytime I want. So that's a big thing. Just a week before that, commercial flights from Addis Ababa resumed to Tigray for the first time since 2020. They are able to fly to Magala, to the capital, and for those who are separated from their loved ones, it's a huge thing. It's not easy that they could know about the well-being of their loved ones. So many family members are very relieved and happy that they finally could manage to hear the voice of their loved ones. After all this fighting and the human rights violation, the fact that they could reunite with their families is like something very big, huge for them. Kase Helu was able to get on one of those first flights. I lived here apart from my husband and child who I love. I came here for my daughter's examination and suddenly got stuck. When I heard about the news of the flight, I fell to the ground and cried. Flights sold out pretty quickly, but Lucy knew someone named Siga who was able to get on one of the first trips. Siga had to travel from her home in Tigray to Addis Ababa shortly before the conflict. She had a medical appointment in Addis and she couldn't return back to Tigray. So she had to stay in, in Addis, paying for rent. And now when the flights resumed, she immediately went there. At that point, she still wasn't able to reach her family by phone. So she just went there to the house. Her family doesn't know, her dad doesn't know whether she's coming or not. So she knocked the door. When they saw her, there is a lot of emotion. There's chanting and crying. So in the first flight, many of them were like that. They just go to their house. They knock the door and there's overwhelming emotions. But while service is resuming to Tigray's bigger urban areas, that doesn't cover the whole of the region. Communication is not restored to all areas. There are still families disconnected from their loved ones. And the banking service, there was a report that the banking is restored, but people are still unable to access their own money. So the humanitarian aid is one thing, but opening the banking service in itself could have solved a lot of humanitarian crises in the region. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy. Another thing you take for granted if you have money, but you can't access it, you're subject to the same struggles that someone without means would have. When I talk about those good sides, it doesn't mean like it's just when you compare it to the situation, like uh, maybe six months ago, seven months ago, I'm just speaking relatively. Mm -hmm. The crisis is still there. The starvation is still there. But people are hoping things might improve because this has been impossible. And after 18 months without hearing from loved ones in a war zone, not all news is good news. Some family members have learned about the days of their loved ones. While Tigrayans outside of the region haven't been able to hear from their loved ones, they have followed the limited reporting that has come out. Stories of airstrikes, famine and human rights violations. In the early months of the conflict, there were on and off phone service. But since June 2021, there is a total blackout. No internet, no phone at all. So in those times, it was very difficult for families to know about the well-being of their loved ones in the Tigray region. The same for those family members in Tigray to know about their loved ones in the rest of the country, in Ethiopia or like abroad. So the separation had created a lot of depression and stress. So how was it for you with this communications blackout how hard was it to get a sense of what was happening inside Tigray? The first story that I did for Al Jazeera is there was a doctor who managed to flee from the Tigray region. His family lived in Addis. And then I, I found him and I talked to him. He was witnessing everything that happened during this one month. This was back in December of 2020, one month into the conflict. Lucy was based in Addis Ababa, reporting on Tigray remotely. The doctor told Lucy about his experience witnessing the war's first days, including the initial airstrikes, and how his hospital ran low on supplies and electricity. By 2021, Lucy was covering atrocities in Tigray on all sides, and as she uncovered more and more abuses, the Ethiopian government took notice and took action. I did a story to LA Times about a woman who was gang raped by 15 Eritrean troops. And while I was doing that investigation, a government agent raided my house and took the evidence I had gathered and threatened to kill me if I continued to dig about the conflict. And I, for me, it was impossible to ignore that story of course, like I was afraid. Of course. That must have been really scary, Lucy, no? Yeah, it was very scary. But for me, at that time, given the, the horrific nature of the crimes, which I was listening to the stories, I was in a, some kind of survival guilt. I felt selfish. So I, I went on and I published the story. And the day that the story was published, the Ethiopian government released a statement that I'm not a journalist and online hate campaign was launched against me. So she fled Ethiopia. She now reports from exile, though she doesn't say specifically where, to protect her safety. I continued publishing stories about the conflict by smuggling evidences. I just established a lot of sources in the 
war zones and still am covering the war. To get around the communications blackout, Lucy says she'd use the small pockets of internet connectivity she could find in Tigray, usually from international aid and NGO offices, to talk to people there. There are a few areas with satellite internet access in Tigray region, and then I will find someone who works in these offices, and then I will ask them, for example, there was a story that I did for Al-Jazeera about malnourished children. It's been described as the world's worst hunger crisis in a decade, and it's fear the situation in Ethiopia's northern region of Tigray will become even more bleak. The Ethiopian government was denying famine at that time. So I sent this person to the largest hospital in Tigray and I asked him to take a picture and video of these children and I asked him to bring the parents of these malnourished kids to this place with internet access to the office. But as the war continued on, bringing people to NGO offices for interviews became more and more difficult, especially with fuel shortages growing worse. Humanitarian groups say they are still struggling to reach millions of people in need because of fuel shortages. As a result, malnutrition rates have skyrocketed. People were focusing on surviving. When you ask even those people in hospital, the doctors with internet access, like people with better lives, were struggling to survive. And someone who would be helpful before would now say, like, no, I can't because they can't afford to go to the hospital to pay for a taxi. So it affected my work, but despite the, the, the challenges, I managed to report the stories, even if it takes time. After the break, a closer look at the peace deal and what it's made possible and what it hasn't. On this week's episode of Essential Middle East Podcast, find out what the most right-wing government in Israel's history is doing in the Holy Land these days. Throughout the war, journalists like Lucy had a hard time getting access to Tigray. So did aid workers, who were assisting with one of the most devastating humanitarian crises in the world. Getting aid to Tigray during the war was quite challenging because road and air transport, including humanitarian flights, were often disrupted. That's Jude Funwi. He's a spokesperson for the International Committee of the Red Cross in Addis Ababa. The ICRC did send dozens of humanitarian flights before the peace agreement, but it faced plenty of obstacles too. At some point, it became impossible for ICRC to restock supplies. Telephone lines were cut off, and information flow among our teams was extremely difficult. The ICRC was able to visit different communities across Tigray in December, after the peace deal was signed. Jude heard firsthand from nurses about the challenges they were facing. Children under five years are malnourished. We can't save some of these children with just medicine. They need food. We give children medicine now, and they come back the second day in worse condition. We know what is happening to them, but we can't do anything about it. Children are in danger. 
But, just as Lucy mentioned earlier, Jude says the situation is relative. For the first time over the weekend, we saw people in Tigray celebrate Ethiopian Christmas after a very long time. More aid has been going into the region and many lives are being saved. But urgent humanitarian assistance is still needed, especially in remote areas of Tigray, where humanitarian needs are enormous and communities are in dire need. Getting foods and more aid is the immediate concern right now. But I also wanted to hear from Lucy about what the peace agreement means for the long term. In terms of the substance of the peace deal, it has lots of limitations. For example, it doesn't state about the withdrawal of Eritrean troops. The peace deal is between Ethiopian troops and the TPLF. But those aren't the only parties in the war. While the agreement does require foreign troops to leave, Eritrean troops and some ethnic militias are still in Tigray. And Lucy has another concern about the peace deal, accountability. Like all sides have committed atrocities. When you see that, it's one of the biggest limitations of this peace deal. There has to be accountability. Because if there's no accountability, it's going to be a vicious cycle of conflict The need for documentation was obvious to the UN before the war even ended. They established a commission to look into allegations of human rights abuses. The UN Human Rights Council is investigating allegations of widespread rights abuse, including illegal detention, torture and sexual abuse. That committee released their first report in September, saying they found reasonable grounds to believe war crimes had been committed. When the peace agreement was signed, they released another statement, one welcoming the deal while saying any violations need to be held to account. Lucy says it's up to the international community to provide that accountability. She doesn't think the Ethiopian government can investigate itself. When I talk to people who were directly affected by this conflict, whose family members are raped, like a mother... Who, who, who saw her son being shot in front of her. For those people, it's not easy to get past it. Like the politicians, for the politicians, it might be easy to get past what happened, but for those who paid the price, it's not easy to get past it. So Lucy, how do you think your work plays into getting accountability for those who suffered and who are still suffering in Tigray? In terms of documenting the crimes, which could have been otherwise maybe un- unreported. Perhaps in the future, if someone wants to look back and maybe if they want to hold the perpetrators accountable, it might help. That's what I hope. Because one of the reasons that the war zone, the Tigray region, was blocked from journalists is to hide the extent of these crimes, to hide the these atrocities. That's one of the reasons to keep them in the dark. But Lucy says there's only so much journalists like her can do. As a journalist, being able to get evidence is the only thing that bothers me. But like as a human being, I have expectations. I expect justice. Like it's not my job. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a prosecutor. So I can only hope that someday in the future, the perpetrators of this horrible crime pay a price for what they did. 
It's not because I believe in punishment, but it's because I fear for the future. If they don't get punished, if there's no accountability, it sends a message to future potential war criminals in Ethiopia or elsewhere that it's possible for someone to do those things with total impunity and get away with it. That's the message. So that's what worries me. But uh, I can only hope. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliay with Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Amy Walters, Ashish Malhotra and me, Halamahiddin. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Al-Malek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.